The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. I think if you find, if you, if you write with an Esterbrook pen in particular, you'll find the experience. And one of the things that I always see when someone is really just curious about it and not necessarily a, a pen enthusiast, when they write with one, they really feel the difference. The voice you heard at the top of the show is Ryan Sirnyahu. He's the national sales manager for Esterbrook Pens. Today, we're going to talk about pens, some of the most famous people that have used Esterbrooks. And I'm accompanied by two very famous people myself. David Graver is to my left. He's from Cool Hunting. To my right is Scott Alexander Bon Vivant, who's written for Playboy and Esquire and many, many other people. And I guess my first question to both of you is, do you still use pens? And I know that you do because... Scott is sitting I'm with a sitting little with book. Sitting with one in my hand. Like, like, I use pens all notes, the time. And David has a, a, a kind of funky three-ring, one-two-whatever-ring binder that he literally writes his schedule out in. And, and I guess I use a pen as well for a crossword puzzle every day. But there are people out there who collect them yeah. and have like thousands of them. And we're going to hear all about that from him. Well, there's these big collectors in every arena. I think we're finding that out. But, um, you know, for me, it's a very specific, it's horses for courses. I, I <laughs> type, you know, the vast majority of the things that I record, but there are very specific things every day. I journal in pen, I edit in pen. There's a, there's a bunch of very specific uses I use for pens. David? I can trace my relationship to pens to a very specific teacher in middle school who said to me, if you write in ink, you will remember. And whether or not that's true, I still live for it. It's totally true. That I, is true. I write my schedules in ink. I I, I use a pen more than, than anything else. It's do a no, very a, noticeable Do you difference. write with a pencil? No, never. Right. And do you? No. Yeah. Like I cannot do the crossword in pencil. I can't either. It's and everyone worst. always looks at me in the, I, I, don't worry, I know what the answer is, lady. They're always so amazed on the subway when I'm doing the, the New York oh, Times crossword puzzle like, in you pen. You do it in pencil? No, no, but no, you can't do it in pencil. I mean, sure you're racing a New York Times crossword? No pencils thanks. don't mean anything. Pens mean it. You came That's to play right. if you got a pen. It. That's right. right. You must have been gifted many a pen in your illustrious careers thus far. Every holiday, someone's like, David, here's a pen. Enjoy yeah. this pen. So you have a collection whether you want one or not. Accidentally, I've begun to collect. Yeah. I can't do an expensive one because I know I'll lose it like sunglasses. But I think our guest is going to tell us that some of these pens go for millions of dollars, which to, but just blows my mind. When they're big enough and they're fat enough, they don't get lost. Well, that's how I never get lost in the subway. Bill's <laughs> yeah. uh, living proof. Boom. But who uh, wants to use an expensive pen? They do? Who? Who would? I would be scared to use an expensive pen. When the functionality yeah. is there. I think it's one of these things, in a, as in a lot of things, when you go up to a certain range, you pay for functionality up through a certain range, and then you pay for collectability and a bunch of other intangibles once you go past that range. But but yeah, I mean, going up to $200, $300, you're going to get increased pen awesomeness. Our president seems to be happy with a Sharpie and signs <laughs> everything with that. That with a, which what I would call a broad nib. I think we're going to learn also from our from our guests that uh, nib width is more important than nib length, which makes me very happy. Um, in general, though, uh, I can't believe that there are still uh, stores that sell nothing but pens. We'll we'll talk about a couple of those and see if they're still in existence. Because to to my mind, it's kind of a mom and pop business that's going away. Well, I I grew up in England um, in the. 
70s, in the 70s, it was still required entirely. We had to use uh, fountain pens, must use fountain pens. If you turned in something using a ballpoint, it was a zero. Really? Oh, yeah. And they could tell? Oh, it's very obvious. Like that guy on Pawn Stars, they call in to authenticate the autographs and the, he knows exactly what kind of pen was That's used. That's exactly right. But but I think what it is, is when you mark it with, a fa- it's like even more than what you were saying about uh, how a pencil doesn't kind of matter. A pen matters because it's ink. And then a fountain pen matters even more because you took the time to take out a fountain pen, to fill it with ink, to really like mark it's like underlining it three times don't they blot though don't they make a mess they used to when i used them a lot of years ago from a functional perspective as a left-handed person the ballpoint pen saved the day for me as a student and as an adult because i smear you drag your palm through the ink ballpoint pen ink is thicker it sticks more this all started back when we allowed the left-handed people to live (laughs) past age two (laughs) my wife and daughter are lefties but uh be sure and ask our guest about that because maybe they're doing something to help you uh i was fascinated to learn that people like quentin tarantino and dick wolf and and uh, a lot of famous screenwriters still take out a, a legal pad and write in longhand uh, things like "Once Upon a Time in Hollywood." You know, this is a this is a three hour movie that must have been a two hundred and fifty page script. I actually have a personal experience that pertains to that. I was a script assistant on a Hollywood film, what? and the writer director. We're just finding this out made now. All changes to her draft by hand, and it was my job to type up her changes into the script take those changed pages and distribute to the producers to find out how much her changes would cost. Oh, wow. Is this she a motion picture any of us have seen? It's it's possible. Okay, you just <laughs> leave it at that? <laughs> wow. It was The Private Lives of Pippoli by um, the filmmaker Rebecca Miller, who's the... Oh, she's married to... Uh, Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis. Day-Lewis. Yes. Yeah, she's made a couple of cool movies. Did you work with her from more than that film or just that just film? The, just that one and just during its its... Production and post-production. And what she used, ballpoint, rollerball, fountain, whatever. whatever she could find. And did she tell you what, Sharp by any chance, what Arthur Miller, her father, wrote with? No, she didn't, unfortunately. All right, you're no good to us. <laughs> no, that's I think amazing. Arthur Miller was a big typewriter guy. Yeah, I think so, too. I think when you, you hear about... Wasn't Marilyn Monroe yelling at him one time because he was making too much noise with the typewriter in the other Almost room? Almost certainly. She was, yeah. you know, there was who a lot type, of yelling in Who types house. with Marilyn Monroe in the other room? <laughs> Arthur Miller. And maybe, and right. maybe, maybe the FBI. Um, but that's a different... Which, by the way, our guest uh, will tell us that John F. Kennedy actually used an Estabrook pen to uh, sign some very famous legislation. So I think he this, also signed Marilyn Monroe. Maybe, maybe indeed. Uh, this is a, this is a more fascinating subject than I would ever have thought. And and walking down the street, if I said, "Hey, we got a podcast today about pens," uh, I think people will be really surprised to learn what's involved here. Pens are civilization, and they're they kind of on. unsung heroes. I think we I think we take them for granted. The reason we have a civilization is because we can remember things. We can remember what happened in the past. We can learn from these things, and we can do it differently in the future. Without that, we don't have civilization. If we don't start writing things down. We don't start progressing. Uh, so, I'm a huge proponent of oral history. Uh, I've heard that about Wait, you. Wait, what? The <laughs> hell? <laughs> this took a tawdry turn. Uh, no, but, but, but oral traditions are great, but they're slightly imperfect. And then you have, uh, when you have written tradition, you have a little bit more accurate reproduction. Now we live in this age of infinite digital reproduction and video and all these other ways to record things. But the pen is really a foundational uh, component of society. The French, I think, invented the fountain pen in the first place, probably writing a love letter to somebody. Almost or, certainly. Or Napoleon. 
uh, like making plans, <laughs> making plans at Waterloo. Uh, but to you know, it, it really didn't come into its own until probably the Americans got a hold of it and started making Bix and Estabrooks and everything else and started chipping those around the world. Started manufacturing it in in large numbers. I right. imagine that's where, yeah, that's where yeah we industrialized it. I think. I'm fascinated by that, and I think maybe we'll find out from our guests that uh, the millennial generation is is coming back to the pen, maybe in bigger uh, numbers than anybody would They're have gonna thought. They're going to save all culture, the millennials. <laughs> they've come to save all of our good analog awesomeness. Because what are we going to use after the apocalypse itself? Self-winding watches, fountain pens. Right. This is what we're going to be using. We will learn probably everything we need to know, and you will too, about pens when we're joined by our guest right after this. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960 from New York City to around the world. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, we're all interested in whether or not we talked about it in the last segment. Anyone still uses a pen anymore? The pen industry is actually strong at the moment. We have a, a strong admiration for found pens among artists, uh, writers, and oddly enough, millennials now, which I think is something that's very interesting. Millennials. There's a hipster pen revolution going it's on? It's very much. I think a lot of what we talk about is millennials looking for a way to be different. And, you know, a lot of people bring attention to the art of shaving stores um, and the fact that they're, oh, sure. you know, looking for straight, straight blade razors um, and ways to really be different, mechanical watches. Um, well, not just different, but sort of authentic. A straight blade razor gives you a particular kind of shape. It's a single blade. There's a reason to use a straight blade right, razor. Exactly. So there, there's reasons to use a fountain pen. There is, and I, I mean, we have we have a few different modes that are very popular. I mean, a lot of people know what a pencil is. A lot of people know what a rollerball and a ballpoint pen is. Um, but our strongest segment at the moment is actually fountain pens. Right. Um, and a lot of people all the time sit there and say, "Do people still use those things? Do um, they still drip everywhere like a condom?" It can be a mess if you don't know what you're doing. I say, like, it's uh, there's certain pens that we really recommend as like starter pens because the ink can leak filling it can be a nightmare uh they can get clogged there's all sorts of things that can essentially happen but then what's uh, the allure what's the allure right, of a fountain yeah. pen? so i think the the allure is again the the disruption um doing something a little bit different i mean there's something like a hundred thousand different colors that you can use and, and inks with shimmer and sparkle so and with viscosity ink. and i mean some of these some of these pen enthusiasts have more ink than they have pens i mean they, they can go 20 30 well, ink feels like that's where a lot of the Pardon the expression, part of where the juice is. Like <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. I mean, there's all sorts of different, you know, dry times and different papers that you can use. Like I said, shimmer and glitter and all sorts of stuff that you can really throw into these kinds of inks. Abraham Lincoln, I think, used a lot of glitter. Uh, yeah, when he used his Easterbrook pen. So he was actually a, an, an Estabrook enthusiast. Um, you know, we 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 don't have verification insofar as what kind of documents that he used, but Estabrook. That Gettysburg address looked like a My Little Pony. Uh, basically, it was a, <laughs> yeah, it, a lot it of had so much. Yeah, so much going sparkles. on there. Uh, we didn't see that because he was reading it, but uh, <laughs> the little stars and the rainbows. If people are still doing this, uh, why don't we see it? Is it something we're doing mostly in? in our homes. I, I walk around and I just don't see anybody using a pen anymore. Once you start to pay attention to it, and maybe after we have this conversation, it's something that you guys will start to notice a little bit more. I notice it in my everyday life because it's, it's what I do for a profession. But 
you know, just, just spending an afternoon in a museum, you'll see a bunch of art students sitting there and, and some of them are using fountain pens, you know, just doodling or drawing. Kids are journaling more now than I think ever. And, and it's funny because we thought for all these years that the industry that I work in would be dead um, because, you know, the iPhone and the Apple Watch and all this, you know, technology is coming out. Really, what I've noticed is that social media in general actually creates a community where enthusiasts can kind of get together. And what it's done is it's made the pen community even stronger. Right. We, we've delved a lot into the, what makes something valuable here on this podcast. And I'm trying to figure out what makes a pen valuable? What's the inherent value? There's a lot of different things that can that can really make a pen valuable. I mean, workmanship. I, I just actually spent uh, last week in Italy touring some of the factories that I really uh, work for and represent. And some of the manufacturing capabilities that they have there are are incredible. Jewelry-like, to be honest with you. Uh, sterling silver casting. Um, so you have, you know, limited edition pens, which can be, you know, reminiscent of uh, various stories, whether they be for a person, a brand, an artist. So what's the most expensive Estabrook? The most expensive Estabrook at the moment is $250. That's new. That's that's a brand new pen, right? So so the, the idea really is, Estabrook really is a pen that's made for for everyone. Our idea is really... It's made to use, made to made write to with. use every single day. These are supposed to be like your workhorse pens, pens that you really want to take with you, not be so concerned leaving it in a vault or something like that. Because there are pens, you know, Mont Blancs and, su- and such that people don't even take out of their house. A they, vault? I'll leave in the Starbucks. Are you kidding? I'm, that's my problem. Who, who holds on to a pen for dear life anymore? No, but now, the, Estabrook, we've targeted a price point really to make sure that it's something that you're going to bring with you every single day. Don't be afraid to travel with it. Write with it, use it. Right. The travel thing is really interesting to me because I have a couple fountain pens. You know, one is a sort of a daily driver kind of thing, but mm-hmm. one is a fancy one that I actually won in a contest. Okay. I, I don't tend to pull it out because I'm scared to even put ink in it because, mm-hmm. you know, we got to th- fix it. But that. then with my, with my <laughs> daily driver, I still don't travel with it because I'm worried about like I've got ink in my bag. And so I've there's got... a couple there's a couple things to be worried about. You need uh, you the know. chain like at the banks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you need. So the fountain pen, the fountain pen essentially has a nib, and that's kind of what that drives the whole uh, you know function of the pen. So ultimately, you have this nib that kind of separates, and the ink spores out out of there. If your pen is loaded with ink on an airplane, the the, the pressure change sometimes will will have a little bit of a leakage situation. I've ruined a couple sport coats before uh, with that. Uh, but they will let you on a plane with it. They it's will, not they considered. Will let you, I, despite I say, what I've seen in some like, James Bond movies, if it's I'm not traveling for a, a sales real weapon. Call, sometimes I'll I'll travel with you know. 100 pens at a time sometimes i always get stopped in the x-ray machine sometimes you know if the x-ray tech is good he'll he'll know it's pens and just you know do a quick little check but then there's people who you know will give you the whole like what is this oh my god you know pen these are beautiful you know listen man i'm trying to catch i'm trying to catch a plane here like i can't talk to you about this all day i get like who carries 100 pens (laughs) i've got a deeply personal question for you as a left-handed person why have you left me behind? <laughs> so that's not that's not the case anymore. There's actually so what what has become popular in our industry recently is the fact that a lot of people will, you know, take the custom a nib is available in a few different sizes, right? So you can get, you know, fine lines, extra fine lines, broad lines, medium lines. But what's become really popular is people actually get the nib ground down. So they actually there are nib meisters, that that's a real job. Uh, where nib people meister. where people actually grind the nib for for a left-handed, you know, cursive italic. And it actually helps because, you know, the left-handed guy has to have a little bit of a different grip if he wants to use a, a pen before. I grind Maybe the you're nib just right almost, in the wrong direction. I, 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 I grind the nib uh, all the time. 
time. But the point I'm trying to make is <laughs> there's a difference between left and right, the way the nib is cut in terms of how it... I mean, it doesn't have to be. It's usually... It, it, it makes it a little bit more conducive to a left-handed writer, uh, something that helps them out. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, we smear. We smear everywhere. Exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh-huh. it's, wet, it's wet ink and you're coming across dragging, the wrist. Dragging the palm. Got it. All right. We need something for him. You started to talk about expensive and you, so what gets an intrinsic value into a more expensive pen and what can they cost? What do collectors, what will collectors pay for the Holy Grail pen? They can go up to a couple million dollars. I mean, I've seen some of these things go at auctions for prices as high as that. Um, A lot of it goes into the materials that they're made from. I mean, you can get a solid gold pen, you can get a diamond encrusted pen, marble pens, and everything in between. So typically, like I know with watches, there's a few different ladders. There's mm-hmm. your functionality ladder. There's your materials ladder that might improve the performance, you know, of a watch, but or of a pen. And then there's sort of nostalgia value, mm-hmm. and then there's sort of ornamentation that goes on top of it. So I think all of that really applies to the pen industry. I mean, granted, functionality in a watch can can get a bit more complicated, as we all know. But um, there's different fill mechanisms for fountain pens, in particular. You know, push. Uh, lever. Uh, There's something called the piston where you actually don't even see the inside of the pen. You basically just draw the ink from a bottle. Um, And there's a, I mean, you can even see Richard Mille, I think, made a a special lever that they actually uh, press a button and it actually makes the whole fountain pen retract. Um, So there's a lot of function that can, that can, you know, increase the value. But we're almost exclusively talking about fountain pens when we talk about valuable pens, correct? There's no Rollerball that's co- worth I mean, a million dollars. A, a lot of times, a, a brand will make a collectible rollerball as well. Um, but insofar as like the collectability standpoint, I think the fountain pen is really um, where that stands. That's where most of the. Uh, if you look at some of the auctions, the higher prices always fetch from the uh, from the fountain pen. There's high value uh, casings for rollerball inserts. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> you know, and, and micro dots and some other things that are probably valuable exactly. to the, falling into the wrong hands. Look, what's interesting to me about all of this is that you have had some very historically famous pens. We what have. about those coming into the aftermarket and finding their way onto an auction block? So, so Estabrook actually manufactured most of their product in Camden, New Jersey for a good part of their history. I think a little over 100 years. At their height in the 70s, they were actually making 3 million pens a year in the factory. So they there are various, like, we'll call them like unicorn pens or pens that they kind of just played around with and made, you know, one of in this color or little varieties with a different different clip or a different amount of rings. Um, so those are the ones that really fetch the highest dollar value because they're rarer. And there are people who can tell you every single pen that came out of the Estabrook factory, how many were made? Is this a one-off? What's unusual about this one? And I think that's that's what really brings the the higher. You don't value. have Abe Lincoln's pen. Do we you do have not Linden, have Abe do you have Lyndon Johnson's or or Robert or any of the Kennedy pens or anything? No. That, <laughs> no. You just know that those documents were signed with Estabrook pens. We know that some of the latter, like the JFK situation, and uh, that he that he signed documents with an Estabrook pen. Lincoln, we know that was an enthusiast of Estabrook. Charles Schultz, we know, actually did all of his el- illustrations with Estabrook. That pens. insufferable prick. We <laughs> talked about him. We talked about what a lousy interview he is uh, when you and I chatted recently. He, he told me that he's yeah. he's he's a tough nut. But Difficult I'm glad. Man? Uh, yeah, to, uh, I mean, he created Charlie Brown, one of the yeah, the only yeah. depressive character in uh, comic book history. <laughs> <laughs> but when he passed, I think his estate actually left his pen collection to a, to a museum. And I think that's where that sits now. 
So I had a question about this because didn't a lot of Disney illustrators use Estabrook pens as well? Uh, yeah, Donald Duck was drawn, drawn ex- uh, exclusively with an Estabrook pen. So the difference between something like Donald Duck or Charlie Brown, when they're using different pens, why are they using different pens? Because they were different pens, correct? Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and are they getting a different line? Is there a different feel in the hand? Like, how would you characterize it? Feel in the hand, not necessarily, but different line v- variety. You can have all sorts of different nib sizes. So if you want a, a broader line, you can get something like that. Um, Estabrook was really well known for their nib variety. Um, they had over 240 different nib sizes, which is something that we don't really see today. You know, you're lucky if you see a brand offering eight nib sizes. Um, just thinking about manufacturing just in general um, becomes difficult when you want to make 240 different options. Um, so Estabrook had that back in the day. How many do they make now? Five. Five, mm-hmm. right. So 240 uh, different sizes was something that was really uh, a lot of choices that you really wanted to have. They call an architect rhyme where it's something that's thicker in the cross stroke, uh, thinner on the downstroke. So you gotcha. can have all that sort of variety. Um, italic nibs, which are the exact opposite, where it's thicker on the downstroke and thinner on the cross stroke. And only right at a slant. Some that right at a slant. <laughs> What's the brand's exactly. place in the arts now? In the arts? Yeah, as in illustration, with illustration. I think mainly just around, you know, the millennial movement and a lot of people using that for, you know, private sketches, journaling. Journaling is something, you know, and especially bullet journaling is something that's, you know, on trend at the moment. Bullet journaling. Bullet journaling. So kind of just, you know, jotting down your day in any format, but kind of just, you know, in in bullet points, basically, you know, to do this, uh, that kind of stuff. As a set of bullets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, do, we, I, do we know anywhere? Is it written down? Actually, is it written down anywhere? Uh, how long a cartridge lasts in terms of word count I mean, or there's a page lot, count? There's a lot that really goes into that. So how hard you press, how broad your nib is, um, how long you've left the ink in there, how porous the paper is. I mean, you really can get into hundreds of different types of paper and some absorb, some bleed, some don't let any ink through. Uh, Found pen friendly paper is a thing. You normally see those Rhodia journals out there and they're actually not not conducive to fountain pen ink because you can see a lot of times when you write in there, you'll see through the page. Um, Is there a shelf life on fountain pen ink? No, I mean, some people have bottles of ink that they've stored and collected from the 30s and 40s. Wait, I the ink is collectible the too? It can be collectible also. Uh-huh. Uh, a, I mean, a lot of people find a, <laughs> find a bunch of ways to collect things. But as long as I guess you don't let it be exposed to oxygen, it won't really dry up. If you leave your pen with ink in it for a long period of time, and I mean, it's going to get gunked up and you're going to have to do a proper cleaning of it. Were there cartridges before the invention of plastic came along or what What was the little bladder? Or what no, was so the little- there was actually, so there were these little silicone sacks that they used to use. They didn't really have cartridges probably until maybe the 60s or 70s. I think everything was really filled from an internal mechanism or a sack that, that really had to be replaced. Uh, so and the bladders were silicone? They were silicone, yep. Mm-hmm. Huh. How do you service an, an old pen? There's a lot of vintage service guys that are throughout the country. Um, some of these brands have actually gone out of, you know, gone out of business or not available anymore. And a lot of these guys have to find ways to either machine parts for specific fountain pens or find, find parts rummaging through garage sales. I mean, a lot of guys do this. They go to vintage, vintage pen shows. That, that we, my company actually exhibit at pen shows 12 times a year. Garage sales, like I said, antique stores, people try to find spare parts so they can try to service some of these older pens. Here in Manhattan, we have something called the 
pen fountain pen or just the pen hospital fountain pen hospital yeah uh, that doesn't exist anyplace else in the country does it a, a store devoted exclusively it does to the pen it, it does, does yeah. so those are still around i gotta say there's probably 20 stores in the country uh that specialize <laughs> specifically in pens what's your favorite yeah, I can't say. They're all my clients. So I, I, uh, <laughs> but I assume they're in big cities. Not 100% of the time. I mean, we have we have a dealer that's in Appleton, Wisconsin. Do you guys know where Appleton, Wisconsin sure. is? Sure. But, okay. but there's a, that's a college town, so I'm it guessing is. that... Yeah, I mean, that, there's a lot of... I mean, there's usually... Usually in major cities or college towns, that's where we find them. In Europe, you'll see a, a lot more let's say, pen specialty shops that focus specifically on writing culture. So a lot more kind of per capita in Europe. I would say Fountain so. Pen. Yeah, I mean, there there could be a couple, there are couple per city. Up until I'd say about five years ago, we had four in New York. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's crazy. And Estabrook is known internationally. I mean, are there stores that where it's sold around the world? So we we reacquired the brand uh, in the past two years. So this is a brand that started in 1858, and in the 70s they actually shut down their factory and stopped manufacturing. Uh, the brand was reacquired by by a gentleman named Robert Rosenberg about five or six years ago. And we, my company, Kenro Industries, acquired the brand from him. And now we're taking the brand internationally. Just this year, we exhibited at a Frankfurt Paper World, which is a, a international show for stationary goods. How and have I missed that? <laughs> I'm sure you'll be there next year. But uh, this is where we're really starting our global outreach. And you'll see some of the, some of the brands. So you're really, really trying started. to take it worldwide? We're trying to take it worldwide. Is there a big market in Asia for fountain pens? Tremendous. What are you doing to bind the history of the brand with the way you're designing for today? What we're doing is we're basically trying to use vintage influence to manufacture new product. And that's a big part of what we're taking old popular models. One of the most popular models that the, that the Estabrook pen company ever had was called the J-Pen. And this is one of the pens that they were making you know, millions of every single year. We are actually relaunching our version of the J-Pen. So taking some modern influence, we have a designer who, who takes the pen uh, and, assault, and essentially will make it a little bit more current, you know, some of the filling mechanisms that were available and some of the materials that were available at that time and age are harder to come by. So that's what that's what we're doing. We actually had a really when we relaunched the brand two years ago, one of the most interesting things is we created an adapter that took vintage Estabrook nibs. And what I mentioned before was there were 240 different nib sizes. This adapter actually took those vintage nibs and put it on our modern pen. So that was a way to really tie in the history and be able to use a, a lot of these collectors have, you know, hundreds of Estabrook pens. They wanted a way to really tie in the old to the new. And that's something that we did. Well, vintage influence is what we're all about at the Accutron show. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we're reintroducing something as well from the past. Uh, tell us a little bit about the relationship between Accutron and Estabrook. So I think there's a there's a big Americana play with both of these brands. And I think that's been the most important, you know, tie in. I think that that's kind of something that when we started to talk about the strategic partnership was really important to to both brands. Uh, Estabrook is a brand that started in 1858. As I've mentioned before, JFK was an Estabrook enthusiast, and I know uh, a lot of the the space tie-in is something that's really important to the Accutron brand with the you know the Space View watch and really just the the roots in American history, and that's something we're really trying to bring back. Um, I know you guys are as well. Um, you know, manufacturing more and more in the states, um, sourcing materials domestically. Where, what what was the big background? I mean, where do you guys stand in the in the marketplace? Are they still are they leading in your? I think we, you know, we're a little bit more of of a niche 
uh, portion of the industry where BIC is more for mass appeal. Um, You're not picking up a $250 BIC. Yeah, no. I, don't, I don't think that such a thing exists, really. So they're the, you know, the the kick around pen. You, I'm sure all of us used it in school. But when you're ready to, you know, be a grown up and use something a little bit better, uh, that's that's that, that's well, something where the for, ink yeah. actually flows. I mean, yeah, I used a big for a long time, but you got to like really scrape without lighting the match or doing the whole thing. I think yeah. if you find if you if you write with an Esterbrook pen in particular, you'll find the experience. And one of the things that I always see when when someone is really just curious about it and not necessarily a a, a pen enthusiast. When they write with one, they really feel the difference. Is there a luxury pencil category? There is. Are uh, they competitors of yours? We don't make pencils at the moment, but there a lot of the brands that make pens or specialize in fine writing have pencils. Faber-Castell is a German company, and that's kind of their thing, right? They're, they're the pencil. I think they even started in the early 1800s. They, were, they started off making pencils. So there is a luxury pencil. Don't tell me those well. go at auction, too. They do. They do. Really? And then, I mean, they sell limited editions in the thousands of dollars as well. <laughs> Speaking of money, we, we talked earlier. I wanted to be more specific about some of the biggest pens that have sold at auction. Mm-hmm. You mentioned mo- prices up in the into the millions. Do you know specifically some of those that uh, have hammered and who made them? So so one of the companies I represent is an Italian manufacturer out of uh, Bassano del Grappa called Monte Grappa. Um, I, know, I know for a fact that they had a pen sell... Uh, the most expensive pen sold at auction for 2.5 million euro, and this was a charity pen that they made. That was all diamond encrusted. Um, it had a it had a dragon on it. Can it, it was write? An incredible piece. <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Which rapper bought it? Uh, I don't know if it was a rapper. <laughs> no. <laughs> They need to write, man. <laughs> they need to work. It's funny though. You sell you sell some of these collectibles, and and there are times where people buy you know ten fifteen thousand dollar pens, and you think they were just going to put them in a museum or put them on a desk, and then you get a call a couple months later, and he he dropped it and something broke, and you find out that this guy actually wrote with this pen and fills it, and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe you bought this to write with it. You know what? The big pens are good for uh, jailhouse tattoos. <laughs> um, do, can you make a Is tattoo that experience with a fountain pen? You're speaking from? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure what you're talking about, Bill. No, but I've, I've heard a lot of tattoo artists do their initial sketches with fountain pens. Uh-huh. Um, so I bet. I know I'm not sure that they can tattoo with a fountain pen, but I'm sure that they use the tool in order to help create. If they can't, they're just not trying hard <laughs> enough, not pushing hard enough. Uh, the uh, relationship between what is old and what is new is what the Accutron show is all about. And I guess I would want to know, what do you think the connection is between the two? I know you guys are working on a pen for Accutron, but in general, what do the two companies have in common? So as we, as I've spoken you know, in great detail about it, it's really the Americana play. Um, I think both brands have a big you know, have their roots really entrenched in American history. Estabrook is a brand that started in 1858 in Camden, New Jersey. We most recently came out with a with a pen collection called the Camden, which is actually the pen that we've collaborated in addition to that with Accutron. And we've made a, a version of our Camden pen in green in the Accutron colorway uh, for the, the collaboration and the strategic partnership here. Um, so that'll be available in fountain pen and rollerball. There'll be a standard edition and then there'll be a limited edition fountain pen and rollerball as well uh, in the Accutron colorway with the, with the logo and the, the tuning fork on the clip and the uh, top finial. And it'll keep good time or it'll be able to write <laughs> It'll, the proper it'll, help time. You, it'll help you record your time with uh, with writing. The clip is the shape of a tuning fork. The sh- the clip will will end up being molded to to look like a tuning. Oh, fork. that is yeah. super cool. Mm-hmm. Ryan, before you go, what's the most important thing you ever signed with a pen? 
I would say, you know, the uh, contract for my first house. But if my wife listens to this, she, she might end my life. So <laughs> I'm going to go marriage certificate. Final answer. <laughs> Uh, well, your marriage is safe, and uh, so is your job at Esther Rook because you clearly know way more about it than anyone else on the planet. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Thank you very and much. It's time guys. now to sign out. On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for the Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks. <laughs>